Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA podcast on FlowCombat.com is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. ADK is a family-owned MMA and BJJ clothing brand nestled in the Adirondack Mountains of New York. They bring you high-quality gear that looks good at an affordable price. So whether you're training to be the next UFC lightweight champion of the world or just trying to drop them those winner LBs, make sure you meet them at the top of whatever mountain you decide to climb. And if you decide to start climbing that mountain right now, we have got a hell of a deal for you. Head on over to adkfightwear.com right now and use promo code TURTLE. That's T-U-R-T-L-E. And you're going to get a nice 20% off your entire order. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast on flowcombat.com. And it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to Megan Anderson, who fights Holly Holm at UFC 225 in Chicago on June 9th. Uh, Megan, currently on the roster, if you count Holly Holm as a 145er, there are three, maybe four 145-pounders. Has the UFC given you any indication that they plan on making it a real, fully de- deep division? Um, no, I, I guess I don't really talk to the UFC my management do so it's something that like I don't really have um, direct contact with them about uh, but I certainly you know I I hope that they start signing more by the way yeah is it something that you you think about often because I can't obviously imagine you making 135 um, so is there some sort of worry there that they might not do that um of course like it's you know we're a year year and a bit deep into the since they introduced the featherweight division and this still hasn't haven't really signed anyone so definitely that's something that you know I think about but um I don't know I just it's it's something that you know I I hope that I can start imploring them to sign more people and um you know that's that's all I can control really mm-hmm so obviously we we heard repeatedly about your possible fight with Cyborg, and then this one of, against Holly kind of came out of nowhere, at least to fans. How did this fight come about? Um, it was kind of out of nowhere for me as well. Um, we'd spoken to the UFC about finding a fight, and they were just like, okay, well, they gave us a few dates, um, They but they didn't have any an opponent. We're like, okay, no problem, and a few weeks later, I'm... It was like last Tuesday, um, and it was like 5:20 p.m. My management called me. It's just like, "Yep, so you're fighting Holly." Like, okay then. The, and that was your your original reaction. Okay then. Um, I think it was something like, "Let's go." <laughs> okay, awesome. So uh, it, it'll nearly be a year and a half now uh, without a fight. By the time that you do get into the cage, uh, which is the longest layoff of your career, are there any concerns about that amount of time away? Uh, no, not really. Um, I've been training hard. I've been, you know, improving. Um, I have a lot of knowledge. You know, I train under James Krause. I train with Zach Cummings. Um, and both of those guys have had, you know, what, almost 10 fights in the UFC. So they have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience there that I can, you know, tap into. And, you know, everyone gets nerves before a fight, whether it's in front of five people, 5,000 or 50,000. It's not really something that, uh, 
that people, you know, maybe maybe people have had like 50 fights. I'm mm. sure that they might not get nervous. Um, I don't know. Everyone's different. So um, it, all that matters is, is we're prepared and, and we're going to put on the best performance on June 9th. Mm-hmm. And and how hard was it for you to be away from fighting for that long? Obviously, you're training, um, but you know the the MMA community, especially the online community, can be both cruel and great. What what was the the feeling of how you dealt with people and how you dealt with others while you were away from fighting? Um, it was definitely hard. Uh, I definitely learned to <laughs> I definitely learned to block out a lot of the comments that people. Um, like to I guess write behind the safety of of a computer screen or a a phone and but you know unfortunately that's what Emma, that's what social media enables um, but it's you know I, I got to a I'm at a point in my life where I don't really care what people say about me anymore um, you know why should I put any time or effort into the opinion of somebody that doesn't know me, has never met me. I don't know them. I've never met them. You know, uh, the people that I that I value is is the people closest to me, and um, their opinions is what matters, and and that's it. Every and you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but I guess it's that 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 old saying is like um, people's opinions of me is not of my business. Mm-hmm. So, knowing that you're a student of the game, you you obviously watched Cyborg and Holly fight the first time. Uh, what were sort of your takeaways from that fight? Um, you know, I thought both ladies put in a great performance, and they showed uh, what what top level athletes they are. And um, you know, it was they both they both executed their game plan like uh, relative game plans well. And it was you know I I, I thought it was an amazing fight, but put on by both ladies they showed how tough they are well and, and that's one of the things too that that fans really love about you is that you're you're flattering to other fighters as well we recently saw you tweeted respect for rose namiunas following her recent title victory over yuani on jacek uh what you sort of make of that performance and what particularly do you uh like so much about rose um i thought i thought uh both yoana and rose put on a great performance um Yuana was a champion in her own right, you know, um, and it was amazing. It was an amazing technical display of striking by both by both ladies. And uh, you know, I I seen I I had it for Rose. I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people seen it for Yuana. But you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what me or or somebody else thinks. It's what the judges thought. Uh, and at the end of the day, Rose is the one that got her hand raised. But I just love, um, I just love the person that Rose is. Uh, she's so respectful. She, it's there's no there's no bullshit. I guess it's just she's just she does her own thing. She, uh, you know, has she 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 has her message um, that she talks with conviction. Like, uh, and I love that she is true to herself and uh there's no trash talking there's no nothing she just goes in there she she does what she needs to do and she does it gracefully absolutely and i couldn't agree with any of that more Let, let's talk a little bit about your fight now too so uh obviously you get this fight with holly home you're excited for the fight with holly home uh what sort of advantages do you see in your style against somebody like her um I, you know, Holly, uh, she has a lot of movement. Um, she, 
you know, has great footwork, uh, that kind of stuff. So that's definitely something that's going to be uh, interesting for me to adjust to. Uh, and I think for her too, it's going to be interesting. She's never fought someone as big as me uh, or who as long as me. You know, I have a, a sizable reach and height advantage and you know, she's never fought somebody like that So who fights like I do. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, game plan for me. You know, uh, at the end of the day, like I'm, my team and I are preparing. We're we're focusing focusing on what I'm good at. We're preparing for for all kind of scenarios, and you know we're gonna do do whatever we we need to to get our hand raised on June night. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you're you're not the type of fighter to look ahead uh, past the fight that's currently on your hand. But winning this fight pretty much clearly sets up an, a fight with mm-hmm. Cyborg, which is pretty much what everybody was calling for ahead of time. It's hard not to look forward yeah. to the fight uh, with it. Is it hard not to look forward to that fight, seeing as it was already on the table at one point? Uh, not really. It's definitely a fight that I want, but at that fight, that's not happening right now. Um, my my sole focus needs to be, <coughs> excuse me, is on uh, June 9th and on Holly, uh, because <coughs> everything else like is like blatantly dependent on <laughs> on on a win against Holly so you know I can't control all that stuff that's going to happen afterwards all I can control is my performance in the cage and getting my hand raised absolutely and so um I'd like to end this interview too we've seen a lot of fighters especially women uh who after conquering their division or, or coming up big in title fights uh go on to big things we've seen uh people spawn their movie careers uh obviously Ronda Rousey's in the WWE now uh all other things considering, if Megan Anderson conquers the 145 division and it's time for her to walk away from the fight game, what does that Megan Anderson want to do in her retirement? I have no idea. <laughs> That's something I haven't really thought of. Um, you know, I I would love to one day down the line get into movies or you know whatever presents itself to me, and you know I'm I'm a very competitive person with myself and I'm sure that whatever whatever I put my mind to I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna achieve. It's it's what I've done my whole life and you know, uh it's it's something that, you know, I look forward to when that time comes. Absolutely. And well that first step of what you're gonna achieve starts at UFC two twenty five in Chicago. Once again, Megan Anderson fights Holly Holm on that card on June ninth. Megan, thanks again for the time. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. And that interview was, of course, brought to you by a phenomenal Canadian craft brewery. I, of course, am talking about Dead Frog Brewery. Look, there's a craft beer explosion out there right now, and there are a ton of pretenders. But Dead Frog is the real deal. These guys bring you high-quality craft brews with no pasteurization and no preservatives. It's just good, clean beer. So head on over to deadfrog.ca and check out what they've got for you or Head on over to their liquor store and pick some up today. We, of course, are Dave and Dan with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and that was Megan Anderson. Dave, what do you think of Megan Anderson? What do I think of Megan Anderson? I think Megan Anderson is fucking awesome. I think Megan Anderson can actually inject some life into the female featherweight division of the UFC. I feel like the signing of Megan Anderson, well, maybe the signing happened a while ago, but the debut of Megan Anderson is actually the debut of the division. Because now we're finally getting a fight that isn't a title fight. The whole division has really felt like it was meant for Cyborg, 
The debut didn't happen with Cyborg. It happened with GDR versus Holly, but then it became the Cyborg division. There's been like three fighters in it. The majority of them are women they just got to come up from 135. So Megan Anderson, to me, is the first true 145-er other than Cyborg. And she has a tremendous personality. I encourage everyone to follow her on Twitter because she has an awesome Twitter feed. And I think she's the future of the featherweight women's division. This is a star they could build around. That's what I fucking think of Megan fucking Anderson. Yeah, and I 100% agree. I think this is somebody that they can build around. And in addition to that, uh, you know, she said she was a little bit worried about whether or not they would fill out the featherweight division. But I think just even even without a win, you know, like, and, and I do expect her to put in a hell of a showing against Holly Holm, even without a win, a really good showing here shows them that the featherweight division is viable and will force them to fill it out. And as of this morning, I heard a rumor that Tough 28 will feature women's featherweights uh, as well as possibly men's heavyweight. Uh, so that division might be filled out sooner rather than later. I'm trying to make that sleeping sound they do in cartoons, like a bunch of Z's in a row. <laughs> the, the two worst, ex- the two worst possible divisions to do a tough for. <laughs> I mean, you could tell me they're gonna get fucking heavyweight aliens to fill out tough next season, and I still wouldn't fucking watch it. Yeah. That show is so past its fucking prime and needs to be taken did, out behind did you, the UFC did you see performance the, did you see the and debut? shot in the fucking head like it's goddamn old Yeller. But hey, they're doing female 145 on it. Cool for them. Did you see the debut of Tough 27? Did you even know it happened? No, what happened? Tough, Tough 27 debuted. The season of the undefeated. I know, what happened? Uh, some guy from Massachusetts got like a 17-second guillotine. It was pretty good. Uh, okay. But but, well. but nothing to write home about. Yeah, well, hey, the the debut of Tough Twenty Seven had a guillotine. The uh, the TV rights fees just went up an extra twenty million. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of UFC Atlantic City? Ah, man, dude. So, uh, tell me if I'm wrong on this too. Does does Kevin Lee doing exactly what Habib did just like a little while ago take away a little of the mystique of of Habib's wrestling? Not not that not that Kevin Lee's a bad wrestler, but if Kevin Lee can do it too, does it sort of take away that like Habib is this like untouchable animal? A hundred percent, no. No, you don't think so? No. I mean, if anything, it's just an indictment on a style that Barbosa isn't good at. That that. If, yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, I mean, if Lee is a good wrestler. Habib is a great wrestler. Mm. I mean, it doesn't take anything away from Habib for me, it d- but it does what, it, like, what was the thought path on that? What my my thought path, path was on that, like, so I, I see Kevin Lee as a good wrestler with good top game. I, I didn't necessarily say the word great or phenomenal or world class on any of those things. I think he's very good at those two things. But if somebody who's very good at those two things made Edson Barboza look like an absolute bitch, and that's what he did. He made him look like a bitch. If Kevin Lee did that being good at both of those things, pretty good at both of those things, does it mean that that maybe Habib was only pretty good at those two things too? You know what I mean? Like. but that wasn't Habib's only fight in the UFC. Like, we have nine other UFC fights to know that Habib is maybe the 
well, he's certainly the 155-pound uh, takedown goat. Yeah, but, but like, who is he taking down that, like, like, so for me, Edson Barboza was the guy who I was like, man, he did that to fucking Edson Barboza? Like, man, he's a badass. But, like, if you take away Edson Barboza, who I previously had thought was, like, this, like, guy who knew how to keep distance and wasn't going to get taken down, if you take that one away from Habib now, who do you point back to of Habib that you're like, wow, that dude knows how to keep distance. That dude knows how to stop a takedown, and he still couldn't stop Habib. Michael Johnson, Rafael but, Dos Anjos. Okay, so I'll give you Dos Anjos, like, what, what was that, like five years ago, Dos Anjos? But did Michael Johnson really know how to stop a takedown? Did anyone else ever take Michael Johnson down like that? Um, I, I'd have to put the intern on Michael Johnson old fights. Uh, but to me, thinking back, Michael Johnson's now a 145er who's 0-1 at 145. Well, Michael Johnson's also a good wrestler, though. Uh, yeah, he's a good wrestler. Um, I mean, he I, just I mean, got he just I, got out wrestled by Darren Elkins too. Well, Darren Elkins is a good wrestler. He, he's a, yeah, he's a good wrestler. I I guess I I just can't see. I, I, don't, I don't I don't buy the argument. It's just Habib. I I think to say Habib is not a good takedown artist because Kevin Lee beat Barbosa is an SAT analogy. <laughs> I just can't get by. I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying he's not a good takedown artist. I'm just saying I'm having more and more trouble finding like that world class guy who can't be taken down that Habib has already taken down. You know what I mean? Like uh, I'm looking for him to take somebody down like like Eddie Alvarez. If he if he came in and he like fucking blasted Eddie Alvarez with like six doubles and put him up against the cage and beat him up, then like crown him the greatest takedown artist in history, right? Because he did that to Eddie Alvarez. But so far he. Uh, like the best thing to write home about is either RDA in 2014, four years ago, actually almost four years ago to the date we're recording this, four years ago, or three of the five Ally Quinta rounds. Okay, but the this argument's weird, man. I, first of all, <laughs> RDA was on a five fight win streak when that happened, lost, and then won another five fights. Mm-hmm. RDA is a fucking savage and has been since about 2013. Right or mm-hmm. 2012? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, definitely, so, he's a savage. I don't, I don't care that that took. I mean, Habib has been wrestling bears since he was six, <laughs> so he, he's clearly a good wrestler. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just don't even know how to say anything to this other than Habib is a phenomenal takedown artist, and Kevin Lee taking down Barbosa doesn't change that fact. I, I, I guess that's true. So, uh. Either way, when you look back at those two Barboza fights, Barboza took quite a bit of damage. And that, this week, is the inspiration to our combat countdown. Because while Edson Barboza took a lot of damage, we decided this week that we were going to count down the top five people who know how to take a punch, who know how to take some damage, and who keep on ticking anyway. I love it. Let's play the combat countdown intro. Are you ready, Melvin Buffer? Yeah, put, put Melvin on there. It's time for the combat countdown. 
Alright, so we start with our combat countdown, and is this brought to you by anyone, Gumby? Absolutely, this is brought to you by Garage Fit. Look, not all of us have a time to get to BJJ practice, MMA practice, and get to the gym for a quality workout, but luckily for you, Garage Fit has got your home gym set up. So, if you want to set up a gym in your garage, head on over to Garage Fit or GarageGym.net and check out all the stuff they have so that you can fit up your home workout gym in your garage and not have to go to that pesky gym. All right. We start our combat countdown on guys who could take a licking and keep on ticking. And number five is Wesley Cabbage Correa. Yeah, Wesley Correa is like the original bad boy of taking a punch. That dude, they used to call him Cabbage because it was like punching a head of cabbage every time you punched him. It didn't really do much. Uh, and the the fights that I point to of him being just a dude who could take a fucking punch were he fought Tim Sylvia and Andre Arlovsky both in their heydays. And, I mean, the punches he took from Tim Sylvia were absolutely devastating. And it wasn't until his corner threw in the towel that the fight was over because he was just going to keep taking the abuse. Uh, and that's why he made it to number five on our list. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I feel like he had to be represented here. He's more of an old-school nod to history. And we'll actually move to another guy who's a little bit old-school at this point, and that's Chris Lieben. Chris Lieben is actually who I became a fan of MMA because of. Uh, I watched his fight with Terry Martin, which is like the ultimate taking-a-punch seminar here. Uh, he takes like three straight punches from Terry Martin, looks like he's on wobbly legs, and then proceeds to walk Terry Martin down and knock him out himself. Uh, he just took a beating and kept on coming forward and wound up getting the knockout. And you could say the same thing about his fight with Akiyama. Akiyama took him down, beat him up nonstop for three rounds, and then Chris Lieben got the triangle choke for the win. Uh, he also took a beating from Michael Bisping. Uh, this dude's fights were absolutely savage every time he stepped into the cage. Well, the buzzword here is savage, and we got a modern-day savage. We just saw him uh, two weekends ago, and that was when he was fighting Dustin Poirier in a classic. I feel like every one of this guy's fights is a classic. It might not be the best style for longevity, but goddamn do I love watching our number three on the combat countdown, Justin Gaethje. Yeah, can you ever think of somebody who we've watched three fights of in their career that we would consider fights of the year? I mean, I, I thought back, I was like, maybe there are three Dan Henderson fights, or maybe there are three Shogun Hua fights that I would consider for fights of the year in the respective year. Every single fight Justin Gaethje has had so far in the UFC is a fight of the year candidate, and that's a fact. His fights are absolutely insane. He throws caution to the wind. He gets knocked out or knocks somebody out with just reckless abandonment every single time he comes out, and you know what? Before he gets knocked out, he takes about four rounds of absolute savage punches. Uh, and that's why Justin Gaethje, if you've never seen one of his fights, go watch all freaking 22 of them because they're so good. I mean, if you're listening to our fucking hardcore MMA nerd podcast and haven't seen a Justin Gaethje fight, what are you doing? You're in the wrong <laughs> you're in the wrong place here. But he of course debuted against Michael Johnson with a big TKO win, classic fight, performance of the night, fight of the night, fight of the fucking year. Then came back and lost to Eddie Alvarez in the third round this past December, and then of course recently losing to uh, Dustin Poirier in the fourth round after their war. Gaethje was winning that fight, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I had him with all three of the first rounds there. Ah, uh, so classic. Uh, all right, we'll move now to number two. 
Love this guy. It's Leonard Garcia. Yeah, Leonard Garcia is kind of a cult classic here. But if you look back at his record, the people he has fought is absolutely insane. Uh, the first fight with Korean Zombie was it, that was in WEC. So even though we're including this in the UFC countdown, the punches he took in that fight with uh, Korean Zombie were just absolutely insane. And he took some beating in the second one too, which was actually in the UFC. He took a split decision lost to Max Holloway. And he took a beat in that fight. And he also took a split decision loss to uh, Mark Hominick, who is the first ever challenger to the UFC flyweight title. Fun little factoid there. Uh, in both of those fights, he absolutely took a beating. And you know what? He made it to the bell anyway, because that's how Leonard Garcia does. Yeah, if you're a newer fan, get onto your fight pass. Look up Leonard Garcia. You won't be disappointed. It's not a waste of time. Fun fighter. Fun little fighter, as they say. And number one on our combat countdown of guys who can take a beating, it's Roy Nelson, or as the Brazilians would say, Roy Nelson. Yeah, Roy Nelson is uh, the ultimate guy who can take a punch, and he can take it anywhere. He takes stomach punches like a champ. He takes head punches like a champ. With the exception of uh, Mark Hunt walking off on him a little while ago, this dude took a beating from Overeem, Stipe, and Fabricio Verdum. Arguably three of the four best fighters in the UFC division or uh, heavyweight division right now, and he took them all to decision because nobody could finish him. Uh, and that to me, in at 265 pounds, is just fucking insane. Uh, that guy takes a punch like no other. So well said, my man. We'll review our top five this week. Number five, Wesley Cabbage Correa. Number four, Chris the Crippler Lieben. Number three is Justin Gaethje. Number two, Leonard Garcia. And the number one guy who could take a beating is Roy Nelson. Gumby, that about wraps up the show. Any final words? Any housekeeping you would like to have done? Uh, I'd like to remind all the fans to check me out on Twitter, at Gumby Vreeland, and to check the show out at Top Turtle MMA, both on Twitter. You can also email the show, MMA at gmail.com, and make sure you uh, send us any love or hate mail you have. Also, make sure to check out all three of our sponsors, ADK Fightwear, Dead Frog Brewery, and Garage Fit. So check out all of our sponsors. Thank you so much for Flow Combat for having us. And uh, anything you got for us? Yeah, I'm David Tremonti. He's Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Top Turtle MMA Podcast will be back next week.